We're here to make a dent in the universe or else why are we even doing this? If I don't think I cut out all the fun stuff, because that to me is the fun stuff. Build that audience, because if you've got no one to sell it to, then it's just going to flop and die. And no one likes a floppy, right? I'm yet to meet a woman who just kind of grew up confidently in her body. Welcome to my podcast. I'm Nicole Bremner. Join my weekly conversations with really interesting people as I delve into the stories and experiences that make them uniquely them. Welcome, welcome back to my podcast. This is the second last one. So anyway, big, big announcement coming up in the next episode. So you need to be there for that. But first of all, I'm joined today by former stripper, Paulina Tenner, and she's the founder of Successful Business Grantree, which helps businesses secure government funding. She has a team of 50 and has raised over 200 million pounds for tech startups and larger companies. In her business, she operates a model of financial transparency and employees set their own pay. We'll definitely be talking about that. Paulina says that being a stripper taught her more lessons than she could possibly imagine, a lot of which she's been able to apply in her business life. And it's also fed into her development as a leader, helped her reclaim the different way of relating to her feminine side and a different way of being and acting in the world. And she must be very open-minded and at the same time more whole as an individual she says. And she's also an angel investor herself. But joining me today is Paulina Tanner. It's a great pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me and your second to last one as well. How special. Yes, it is. But uh, I will keep going with the podcasting. So it's uh, a big announcement coming. And all of these podcasts, of course, will still be there. And many people go back through and will listen right from the beginning through to the end. So it's really good seeing people uh, I guess, binge listen to these these sorts of content. <laughs> so Grantree, it is an interesting concept. Tell us a bit more about it and how you got involved, how you came up with the idea. Yeah, so um, ever since I arrived in London in 2006, I was actually born in Poland and I came to study at University College London, uh, having been awarded an Erasmus scholarship. I was really inspired by the entrepreneurial community. So um, I would go out networking, talk to like bearded geeks in pubs at meetups, you know, talking about product market fit. I had no idea back then what it actually meant. But I felt these people have the chutzpah, they have the willpower, they think they can change industries and they quite often do. And I felt like one day I really want to be one of them. Um, And in the process of meeting a lot of people, I met my first business partner whom I started a company called Dreamstake with, where we helped creative entrepreneurs secure funding, find office space. It was kind of like a a creative hub and um, an online platform to support them. And out of that was born the idea for my second business, a grant tree, which is much more narrowly focused on government funding, on getting uh, tech startups and scale-ups government funds through tax credits and grants. And as you said, we've secured over 200 million worth of funding for them. So uh, we've done some good work. Do you think that people don't understand how much government funding is actually available to them until they start looking? Absolutely. 
absolutely and a lot of people i've met um are quite cynical about it they said well there's absolutely nothing government this government can do for me and you know they couldn't be more wrong there are actually quite a lot of resources and quite a lot of free money so-called free money of course you have to apply for it you have to work quite hard to create the best quality application that stands out amongst your competitors uh, but you know arguably it's the best form of financing out there because you don't have to give up any equity in your business or any control um it usually comes with absolutely no strings attached and are there certain businesses that are more likely to be granted money or is it any business really that uh, fits within the parameters yeah, absolutely. So there are several categories. For example, charities and social enterprises, um, there is a particular type of uh, grant or subsidy that's available to those companies. We specialize in uh, assisting technologically and scientifically advanced or innovating companies. So they have to have some element of research and development some element of innovation not necessarily step change innovation it depends you know what kind of grant or scheme they want to look at but there needs to be an element of of innovation mm -hmm. okay and what sort of success rate do you have is it a case that all companies get it if they've got the right application or are there some that just are not successful it very much depends on the scheme. So there is a scheme uh, many tech entrepreneurs know about um, these days, which is called research and development tax credits. It sounds tax related, and it is, but actually, whether or not you're profitable, you can get money out of it. And there, the case is that as long as you meet the criteria and file the right application, you will get the money. So um, it's just a matter of kind of optimizing it. So there we have a 100% success uh, record. Uh, when it comes to prospective grants, where you actually get money based on uh, stuff that you're looking to develop, as opposed to a retrospective claim on something you've developed in the past, there there is a um, it's a competitive process. Um, sometimes uh, the rates success rates are as low as five to ten percent. We have a success record of between sixty and seventy percent on prospective grants so we increase the odds significantly and we put a lot of work in the process into creating very good quality business plan uh, marketing plan technical specifications etc so whether or not the client wins there's a lot that they gain in this process of working with us and uh, I, I'm guessing that they would your clients yeah. hire you for the specific project and that's how you're remunerated on that particular project. It's not a, mm -hmm. a success fee or anything like that. It is just a, a hiring of you of your company. Yeah, so with uh, non-competitive schemes like tax credits, it's actually success fee only. And with competitive schemes, it's a combination of setup fee and success fee. Mm -hmm. Now, in the introduction there, I said that you allow your employees to set their own pay. And mm. when, I, when I read that, I thought, oh, how's that going to work? But when I do think about it, most of us are quite decent and most of us also know what we're worth. So how have you found it? And have you found people who have tried to take advantage of that or been unrealistic yes. about their worth? Yeah, so this is making a company culturally led ready to put, pull something like this off is a process. So it took us quite a few years from when we first read about this being done in Brazil by an entrepreneur called Ricardo Semler. He wrote this fantastic book called Maverick. 
Um, and he implemented this in a company of thousands. So we thought we can probably do it in a small company in London. Um, when we first read about this, we weren't quite ready to implement it. The first step is to create a committee formed out of different team members who was in charge of setting salaries for everyone across the board, making sure they're fair, um, that they're well, well researched, etc. And at some stage, um, a couple of years after we implemented that change, we were ready to allow people to individually do their own research, um, which has to be very thorough. They need to have been doing monthly self-assessment reports for the last six months at least. They need to speak with recruiters. They need to have backup uh, why the salary they're requesting is um a fair, fair market rate. And they also receive extensive feedback from the company and from colleagues. So um, they know that if the salary they choose is vastly, you know, um, against the advice from uh, their peers, peers, they are the ones that are going to have to deal with any conflicts and, and any difficult situations that arise. So it's actually quite a responsible and difficult decision to make. Uh, it's not easy at all. And it's, it means you have to have a lot of a big sense of kind of responsibility and um, courage as well to do this well. Courage from the business leader perspective and from the employee perspective uh, or which perspective are you talking about as far as the courage? No, I'm talking, I'm talking the employee perspective mm. when you are choosing to change your salary um, oh. and you're doing the research and you, uh, it's a courageous process. It's not easy, uh, but um we have the kind of people that, that can do it and do do it. So it's definitely possible. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. And you're right. It, it takes a lot of responsibility to say, right, I'm no longer worth 50000 a year. I'm now worth 70000 or 170000 or whatever it might be. And that has to then be justified. It's probably so, not such a big jump, to be honest. Like, it's very <laughs> people jump that significantly uh, but yes um, it is a big responsibility there have been some mistakes so somebody for example a couple of years back decided to pay themselves a higher rate based on what they were about to start doing which they then didn't uh, because of circumstances in the business change they received a lot of negative feedback and they sub subsequently ch changed the salary back to where it was so um, it is something that you have to navigate quite carefully and how has it benefited Grantree? Has it helped with with uh, employee tenure, just overall culture? Absolutely. So it's hugely empowering for people. It's, as I say, a courageous process, a responsible process, but it's hugely empowering. And I think that anything that you implement in your culture that's empowering for your people has long-term advantages and um, translates to bottom line in the longer term, not necessarily in the shorter, but in the longer, absolutely. Yeah, so they would feel like they're partnered with the company and not just employees, but they're really genuinely part of the future. Is that what you think? They, that's what you're, you're yes, seeing? Yes, absolutely. And also, you know, we, we run a system called holacracy as opposed to traditional hierarchy, which means that the um, um, responsibility, the decision power is distributed in the business so people effectively take part in envisioning the future of the company as well. So that gives them a sense of ownership of um, what kind of company they're part of um, and of their roles. They are the ones kind of shaping what their roles look like. Uh, they're the ones that can kind of question things and bring things up if they uh, lie in the way of them doing great work. 
So people are empowered in numerous ways to actually take very active stance um, in shaping what the company looks like. Sounds like an amazing place to work with people who are very, <laughs> feel very empowered and uh, part of a community. There's always advantages and disadvantages. So I wouldn't say that there are like massive disadvantages, but it's not easy. It's not easy to recruit people um, in, in a way that makes it super obvious what they're setting themselves up for. Um, because, you know, it's easy to think, oh, great, I'll be able to pick my salary. And when you actually get to it, it's a, such a tough process and decision. Um, it's not easy to um, maintain a kind of culture where things are transparent because um, tensions rise to the surface much quicker. Um, it's not super easy to run a company where people are very outspoken because then people bring up a lot of stuff that they don't like and you have to be you know up for dealing with it as, as a business founder even if the responsibility and the control is decision power is distributed across different um units of the business so um yeah you know there are tricky parts of this too as well definitely yeah, I guess with the full transparency, it means that you as the founder are also completely transparent about what you're earning and the income you're taking, the dividends, etc. Everybody has got access to the company accounts, so knows exactly what's coming in and what's going out. Yeah. Hmm. Now, that's really fascinating. So you've written a book about your, your business experience, and it's called Laid Bare. And it's about what the stripper taught the businesswoman. So can you take us through that story? Because of course, that's that's the headline of this interview. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't yeah. want to start with that, like most people do. I want to start with the business, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it is interesting how you've come up with this great philosophy for business and it's clearly successful. So what did the stripper teach the businesswoman? Yeah, so first let me kind of bring in the stripper and how kind of she enters the scene. So about maybe two, three years into growing my business, which is now um, between 40 and 50 people, um, I felt really tired, really kind of kind of on the verge of burnout, burnout. I think I was really mostly spending my days in my head in the world of like logic, uh, ambition, drive, competitiveness. And I just felt, God, there used to be so much more to life. Um, there used to be this juicy, creative, rebellious part of me that would enter the scene and just, you know, completely steal the show and just make me feel so alive. And that part seems gone. It seems like it's kind of dying. Um, and there was a particular day when I was in Piccadilly Circus, walking to a meeting in Leicester Square in London. And I stopped by um, a club called Café de Paris, which is a cabaret club. And they were just doing, it was daytime, so they were just doing a rehearsal for a burlesque show. And I was absolutely mesmerized. I saw those uh, showgirls on stage with like the feathers and the pink boas and uh, glitter and sequins. And I was like, oh my God, in another life, that would be me. And then I thought to myself, well, there is no other life, sadly. Um, this is me here and now, uh, what can I do to bring that part back online? And then I made the decision on the spot, as I sometimes do, that I was going to find out how to become a showgirl. I was going to research it and figure this out and just implement it. Uh, so I reached out to a few girlfriends. I found a burlesque school in London, which is called The Cheek of It. I signed up, I did a, did a couple of courses and started performing. And it was seriously the biggest, most badass adventure of my life. Just absolutely loved it. Totally reclaimed a different part of me as a human and consequently me as a leader. 
and that's what I refer to the book as the feminine part. It actually has nothing to do with gender. It's just that, you know, all of us, regardless of gender, gender, have those masculine qualities and those feminine qualities. And whilst I used to be very well versed in the world of kind of logic, decision making, drive, ambition, competitiveness, I was kind of losing the connection with my body, with my intuition, with my playfulness, with my creativity. And um, doing burlesque totally unequivocally uh, helped me reclaim that. And I became a better leader, a different leader as a result of this. Um, and I draw so many parallels in the book of how, for example, as an entrepreneur, you need to learn to stand out of the crowd, just like a stripper does, because the more ridiculous your costume and your stage gags, the better. And you learn to be valuable. Uh, you need to learn to be vulnerable in front of your team, just like you know a stripper is very vulnerable when you, for the first time on that stage, and you're like stripping and teasing the audience. It really feels quite vulnerable. Uh, but it's fascinating and a beautiful kind of yeah. and hugely empowering thing to do, actually. Uh, so there's just so many things that you could um, bring in here in terms of what the stripper taught the business leader and vice versa, actually, because the business leader also taught quite a few things to a stripper. So I was a very organized, you know, burlesque showgirl in terms of booking my gigs, getting paid for them because I had that big business experience. Uh, so it's kind of worked both ways. Yeah, it must have been incredibly empowering. And let's not let's not skirt around the fact that you must have felt while you're performing very sexy as well and very desired. And uh, and that also feeds into confidence and, and how you feel about yourself, making you perhaps a stronger leader in that way as well. Absolutely. So recently I did this event with a, a collaborator of, of mine called Confidence in Bed as in Business. So I think that our sexual energy is actually our life force. Our life force, which can be manifested in a kind of sexual way, but it can be manifested in a creative way in all sorts of ways. And it's, you know, when you awaken that, the entirety of your being and your leadership style changes. Um, so you know, absolutely um, taking up something like this, an embodied hobby or getting in touch with your wilder side will empower you in terms of your confidence levels and will, yeah, just transform the way you show up. Uh, because once you've, you know, stripped in front of the audience of, of, of hundreds, you're not going to be feeling that intimidated talking to CEOs and CFOs in the daytime. Um, and once you've, you know, you've been gone to that levels of vulnerability, it's going to be easier to be vulnerable with your team. So, uh, yeah, totally, totally recommend uh, taking up some kind of weird, wild, wonderful hobby that will put you in touch with your body and that will help you become a more powerful leader. So with perhaps a strange question, but how did you feel when you were in front of other business leaders and your team, knowing that they'd seen you in a state of undress potentially, or they'd seen your photos or they knew what you'd mm. done, something that made you feel proud of yourself? Or was it sort of a little bit, oh no, they've seen me virtually naked. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah, look but... beautiful in your photos, by the way. Thank I've seen you. them and you look incredible. I'd be very proud, but it's just how it made you feel. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a very good question because to a certain point, I led this kind of double life. So I was somebody else during the day and somebody else at night. And I was stressing a little bit. What if someone sees me, one of my clients, da 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 And then at some point, I just felt ready to combine those two sides of my identity into one. And I felt like, okay, it's time for a coming out ceremony. And I happened to have been invited to do a TEDx talk in 2014. So uh, that ended up being the TEDx talk that inspired the book, actually. It was called What the Businesswoman Learned from the Stripper. Uh, and I was talking as, as my business persona, but I had those images of me as a stripper on the backdrop, backdrop. And I was like really making fun of myself, like saying like, Shh, like, make sure that you don't say this, what I do to anyone because this could ruin my career. Um, and I just really... Uh, that was the moment when I felt ready to be everything, to really allow different aspects of who I am come together and shine. And that was the right decision for me. Uh, and it really worked. And it makes the book so much of a different business book. Might maybe the most unusual business book you've read. Um, so, yeah, so these days I'm absolutely um, comfortable with people knowing that I would still occasionally strip uh, on stage as a burlesque showgirl. Um, I actually, interestingly enough, um, I got invited to a policy panel, so a, a really senior panel of individuals that advises the government on policy uh, as, as part of Institute of Engineering and Technology. Um, I got invited on that panel because the chairman saw my TEDx talk and I was like, I can't believe this. So when you really show up authentically, amazing things can happen. And they have, have done to me. Yeah, and I, I I thought you were going to say they invited me, but then they saw that and decided it didn't fit with their values. But that's not the case at all. The opposite's yeah. true. And do you ever feel that perhaps someone said well that doesn't fit with our values absolutely absolutely and i uh, i actually to be honest with you i've never received direct feedback from mm -hmm. someone saying we don't want to work with you because but i'm sure uh, that there will be people that are not particularly interested in that side of me or don't even approve of it actually my my parents don't are not particularly happy with me doing burlesque and my mom made a comment once that oh it's like a posh porn star and I'm like mom that's completely it could not be more different but um not that I have anything against porn stars I think everyone is entitled to choose a career that's like beautiful and empowering for them but that's a completely different discussion um so um yes uh, there will be people that will not approve and that's absolutely fine by me as anthony hopkins put it what other people think of me is none of my business no and they're not your people are they <laughs> yeah no, and it's even interesting sometimes you know um i think it would be boring if if all if the entire world had the same perspective on things what's interesting though just what i was thinking about while you're saying that is that Often we're so worried about what people think, but the people that have those perhaps negative or judgmental views on us are not people that we necessarily like either. We just want them to like us. And it's quite an odd phenomenon, really, that we want people who we don't like to like us, and yet they're just not our kind of people. Mm. It's, a, it's a, a strange one, really. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an in interesting one. I think like so much of our perception of ourselves 
is built on what we think other people think about us and all all the like and at the same time those people are busy about like worrying about exactly the same so you know that's the hilarious thing and the older you get I suppose the more you realize that nobody really takes that much energy in kind of judging others in their head because most of the time they're worried about their own perception that's so true now just as far as safety were there any any times that you ever felt quite unsafe I guess being a burlesque you're a performer mm -hmm. when you're a burlesque dancer it's not mm -hmm. as if you've got men tucking uh, mm -hmm. notes into your uh, mm -hmm. into your uh, there's no physical what? contact actually yeah. but it did happen once that I performed in a very very small club in the strand called the Celador where it, it actually used to be public toilets it's that small and it's been transformed into this tiny nightclub. And there is no stage. So there is no physical separation, which there usually is between audience and the performer. And somebody was trying to grab me and that felt really wrong. I mean, uh, my husband was there and um, obviously the, bar, the, 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 the staff working in the club were there. So it's not that I felt unsafe, but I felt that was deeply uncool. Um, so I never performed there again because I just felt the conditions weren't great to create a good performance. And that's the that's a really good point. Is that after the uh, the awful events of Sarah Everett, um, mm. and then another lady after her was also attacked in the street mm. and, and murdered. Now the the local authority told women to be careful when they were out, and mm. this is you the comment that you've made then about how you felt unsafe within that environment, it's almost as if that man that, that man that was trying to grab you felt that just because you weren't wearing much, just because you're performing, you somehow were inviting his, uh, his attention when that's not the case at all. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that us women are the ones who are told that we have to be careful when actually we, actually, we need to change the views of others so that they realize that this is just unacceptable. Absolutely. And as a performer, you need to understand your rights and your boundaries. So you're definitely inviting kind of positive attention when it comes to cheers and claps and uh, people feeling excited because they're seeing you, but definitely nothing um, of the sort or that this man was trying on, which is to grab or to reach out, unless the performer like does it or touches your shoulder or invites to you know pop a balloon that she is wearing or like something like that uh, but it's definitely a no-no in the burlesque world no exactly I just I just think that it's terrible that we are told that we have to be the ones that um, have to look out so in Laid Bear can you take us through some of the the lessons that you've learned and some of the key takeaways from your book absolutely so um, first, you know, the, in the first part of the book, I talk about um, uh, workplaces of the future. So how we create a grant tree and how we evolved into a kind of company where people are empowered to set their own salaries and where financials are transparent and where we operate holacracy. Yeah. So you were talking about how you interweaved the, the story about grant tree and how you yes. built this company to, uh, yeah, to, you've evolved as a company. Absolutely. So first part of the book talks about workplaces of the future. And the second part of the book talks about leadership of the future. And in the leadership of the future part, I um, talk about the feminine and masculine aspects um, or paradigms that we all have, regardless of gender. 
Um, and, you know, as a stripper, I really uncovered that feminine part that was asleep. So to do with embodied wisdom, to do with intu intuition, playfulness, creativity. And uh, I show and hopefully inspire people how to identify that feminine and masculine within themselves. So mine actually have names. I have Freya and Bob, who is a very practical girl. And um, I kind of show how they uh, achieved a consensus within, you know, my being and how this happened for me. Um, so, yeah, that would be probably the biggest lesson that this businesswoman did learn from the stripper is to allow and integrate that feminine part. Mm. So you did talk about even all the language that you used right at the beginning of this discussion about how you were negotiating and you're going into these meetings and having these high-level discussions and you missed what we think of as the more feminine features, the the creativity, the softness, the allure, the the sexual side of things. And this is something that you were able to put a name to and even almost create a method around that you can teach other people. Yes, absolutely. I think that you can learn so much from almost any kind of embodied practice. So what I learned to tune into as a leader, uh, for example, is that uh, being a performer, you have to kind of understand and tune, in, tune into the chemistry between you and the audience. So obviously you have an act prepared, you know, in advance what you're going to do, but you should always allow some freedom for little improvisation here and there because it all depends who is in the room you know how cheerful and happy they are to see you how they're reacting to your jokes it's a tiny little bit like a stand-up comedy act so you kind of need to be prepared for what's coming back at you and in the same way as a business leader you really whether you're meeting somebody to do a business deal with them or a future colleague or a partner you have to be able to tune into the chemistry between the two or more of you and sense, you know, what is this person or those people? What are they really interested in? What are they really trying to get out of this? What am I trying to get out of this? Where can we meet? Uh, and it's something that's beyond the level of words and rational understanding, but it's something that very often comes from the gut or intuition, kind of understanding, um, you know, how it feels to be that person as opposed to how they just how they think. Um, so there are so many super interesting parallels there. Yeah, and including how you're making someone feel when mm. you are performing or even negotiating, even talking with them. You must have a lot of intuition about that and, and what you're making someone feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So kind of you learn to tune into, you know, how you can create an experience for someone. Um, you know, what you need to evoke in yourself to be able to create an experience for someone. So performing in any art form is, is, is fascinating. Absolutely. Do you think there are other areas that people can get involved in other than burlesque that also offer the same amount of, I guess, freedom and creativity and uh, juxtaposition between their normal day job? Absolutely. So, for example, dancing. Um, I used to tango dance quite a lot. Again, a stunning art, art, uh, art form, very embodied. You need to tune into the connection between you and your partner if you're dancing in pairs. It's very expressive. It's very freeing. Um, 
I actually am a singer. I sang in all of my burlesque acts. So music, again, hugely expressive art form, a beautiful kind of universal language in which to commu communicate. So, yeah, so these days I, uh, I say to leaders, leaders, find your creative, wild side, discover that hobby or that thing that you used to love as a kid and kind of integrate that back into your day and into your working week because that will really change you fundamentally as a being and as a and consequently as a leader at work and it's about embracing fear because just burlesque is something I could never ever do I say but even getting up on stage and say singing that would be incredibly frightening to me so it's about harnessing that and almost getting over that fear and, and again that will help you there's so many parallels in how that can help you in the business world as well Absolutely. Yes. I think having that confidence, stepping on stage, being there to receive feedback, and sometimes it's very bombastic and enthusiastic, and sometimes not so much because the audience maybe isn't as warmed up by other acts that were before you or you're the first to perform or for whatever reason people are distracted or they haven't had enough to drink or whatever else. And um, you learn to respond and deal with all sorts of feedback and that's super important to be able to do as a professional and a leader too and what's next for you you've just launched you've just uh, published your book uh you're still dancing mm -hmm. on occasions or performing yes. your business is doing incredibly well so what do you see next yeah so yeah obviously i would love for you to check out my book and um leave me a review ideally i'd love to hear from you about it um you can check it out on paulina tenner my first name last name dot com slash book very easy and that will take you through the to the right amazon pages um and all uh, uh, by the way all entrepreneurs who pre-order my book bef before the end of january and message me i'm paulina tenner on all social media um, I'm happy to give you 30 minutes of your time to of my time to give you feedback on your pitch because I'm also an angel investor. So <laughs> that's kind of connected to what's um, next for me. I love to angel invest in businesses. It gives me a lot of satisfaction to be able to do that. So I foresee myself being a bigger investor as my wealth grows. Um, I would like to get involved in more startup projects, which I'm kind of in the process of uh, looking into. Um, I would like to write another book, which I think will come with time mm -hmm. uh, as, you know, my life experience grows as well. And I would just, at the moment, I'm kind of tuning into what universe has to offer me and how it would like to use me and my talents um, to the, you know, for common good. So um, I'm taking a little bit of a time out to, to understand all that while obviously keeping busy promoting the book and um, doing quite a few other things as well. Yeah, you sound like the sort of person that never sits still. A lot of these <laughs> startups that you invest in, do they come through Grantry? Some of them have. Some of them have been recommended by other investors. Some of them I got to know. There's one I'm speaking to right now that I um, learned about through Techstars demo day. So it's um, various kind of channels. I also run um, a weekly clubhouse room called uh, Q&A uh, Q with investors for funders that are fundraising. Um, that it's on Tuesdays, uh, 8 p.m. So, yeah, through several channels, but it definitely helps to have had some sort of working relationship with them. 
before I make an investment decision because that shows me how they meet their objectives, how they perform, um, how they, what's their work ethic, their values, etc. And with the, is there any sort of sector that you like to invest in or are you open to sectors? Um, I am open. I have mostly invested in B2B software because that's where my kind of networking experience is. However, I would be open to invest in others as well if I was convinced that the founder um, is very solid and interesting and they have a very interesting idea as well. Sure. Well, there you are. You've heard it. Make sure you follow Paulina. She is very active on LinkedIn, I found out when I was doing the research for this. So that's probably a good place to connect with her and find out more about her angel investing, grant tree, and also performing if that's something you'd like to do. Paulina, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Nicole. And uh, yeah, look forward to whatever announcement you're making on the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support us with a like, comment, subscribe and share. And you can always join the conversation live across my YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn pages at 1pm every Thursday. See you there soon.